How many knows that there is no other name? There is no other name. It is in that name that there's salvation. It's in that name that there's healing. There's in that name that there's deliverance. It's in that name that there is miracle working power. In that name is your victory. In that name is your hope. In that name is your tomorrow. Can I tell you today, the name that's above every name should be exalted and lifted high every opportunity that we get a chance. Oh, we lift up the name of Jesus in this room. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Oh, won't you just take 30 seconds and just lift up your hands, lift up your voice. We're in no hurry tonight. You might just be 30 seconds away from your miracle. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we give you praise and glory today. How great is our God. Hallelujah. He's the name. this evening I said he's great this evening hallelujah 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 you may be seated tonight in the presence of the Lord I'm thankful today for the love of Jesus thankful today for the promises of his word for you and I how many knows that life is worth living when he is present with us? And we have a lot to look forward to. Amen. Well, welcome to the house of the Lord on a Sunday evening. I'm thankful I didn't run everybody off this morning, so I'm glad you made it back for round two. No, not round two tonight. I promise I'm going to be nice if the Lord would help me. But, uh, but we are so grateful uh, for the word of the Lord, so grateful for what God is doing in the lives of, of men and women across this nation as well as across the globe. And we are so thankful for the privilege that we have to come together to be edified and equipped by the preaching and the teaching of the word as well as the amazing opportunity that we have to lift up our hands and to lift our voice in worship and adoration to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is truly worthy of our praise tonight. Amen. And I'm so grateful that we have the privilege to do that. If you have your Bibles with you for a, a few moments, we're going to go on a journey together tonight. Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. I'm going to read one verse to lay a foundation. And we are give you a little context of what we're reading tonight. There was a battle 
within the members of the church. And Paul was focused on trying to bring clarity and trying to bring unity and trying to bring the truth concerning the matter. And we find that we're dealing with a mixture of individuals. We're dealing with the Jewish community as well as we're dealing with the Gentile community. And therefore, everybody was bringing something to this table, if you would. And there was those that had accepted Christ from the Jewish perspective but still thought that you was having to operate under the law. And then there was those that was in the Gentile the, the community that really had no understanding whatsoever, but they was just by faith accepting Christ. And therefore, there was lots of things that was trying to gain entry into the body of Christ in the early church in this specific location. And Paul begins to write, and he brings a narrative and it's interesting, the analogy that he uses, because he begins to make clear to these individuals and also trying to make clear to you and I today that there is only one true answer uh, to really walk and live in a manner where we can be fulfilled, where we can have peace, where we can have joy, where we can have a sense of purpose. And if we're going to be able to do that, there's a specific way in which we must live our lives. And it is not a list of do's and don'ts uh, tonight, but what he was doing was bringing clarity. And he was simply trying to tell them that it is only when we put our faith in Christ that truly we began to live. I can stand here tonight before you, and I believe many of you can stand in this room and you can testify in the same manner. It hasn't been until you put your faith and trust in the Lord that you really truly began to live. Now, in order for us to really get into a place where we are experiencing the fullness of God, then it's going to require us to do what Paul is alluding to. So I want to give you one verse tonight, and then we're going to, with the help of the Lord, we're going to talk to you about a surrendered life for subject matter tonight. What does it really mean to live in a state of surrender? I want to talk to you about a surrendered life. How many knows that if you surrender, it means this, that you yield your right or your authority and you give oneself up as unto another or to another power or another authority. So with that been in mind, let me give you Galatians rather, chapter 2, verse number 20, and we read the following. And it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me read first of verse number 20 again. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people tonight in this house and those that are joining us uh, on the internet this evening. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth. Lord, I pray that this vessel would be anointed to preach and teach your word in the manner that you see fit tonight. Lord, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Paul drafts a very interesting picture or analogy. He compares our relationship with the law and with Jesus like that of a marriage. If you was to read all of chapter number two, it goes deeper into this frame of mind. But what he's doing is he writes that we began married to the law and so that the law had rights to us until death. But in Christ, we were joined with him in his death. And so our marriage to the law was nullified, and we can now be married to Christ instead. Therefore, this union is so perfect. I know many of you have marriages like this. It is so perfect, like the perfect marriage that the two have become one flesh, and it is no longer Paul who lives, but a union of Paul and Jesus. In such an intimate manner that he simply says... It's not me, but it's Christ. Now, there's a lot we could say about it. I'm not going to teach on, preach on marriage tonight, but we find that what he's referencing is this, that the, the life that you see before you is not Paul, but the life that you see before you is Paul and Jesus wrapped together. And he simply says, it's not me. And it's not what I prefer, it's not my preference, but it is what God's plan is for my life. And that's what I'm walking out. In order for him to get to that place, there had to come a time in his life where he simply went to a place of complete surrender. Now, in order for you and I to be able to surrender to the will of God, we have to understand what Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What does that really mean? It means this. This will make you shout right here. To put to death by nailing or binding the hands and feet to a cross. It means to subdue. It means to take this old temporal house, this fleshly nature of man, and put it on the cross. To subdue simply means to conquer and to bring into subjection. How many knows, and men, uh, Brother Jade was talking about this even briefly, and he didn't even know what he was going to preach on tonight, but he mentioned briefly, and as we continue conversation, a large majority of the issues of our life is from our own doing. We don't like to hear that because we've got all the answers and we got it all figured out. But the, the, the truth of the matter is that a lot of the things that we encounter is things that are the results of the behavior that we have been involved in or engaged in. And therefore, we are suffering because of what the flesh has led us into. How many knows that, a, that an uncontrolled appetite will get you in trouble? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and even in the realm of food. In any area of life, if you do not bring your mind under subjection, if you do not bring your body under subjection, it will quickly get out of control. 
Notice with me, there is absolutely, some of you are going to like this right here. There is absolutely nothing wrong tonight if you go home and you go to your refrigerator and you open up the freezer section and you get you out some Rocky Road ice cream. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you go to that refrigerator every night and you don't get a cup of ice cream, but you get a quart of ice cream, there's a problem. You hear me tonight. Because what it is, is your life is out of balance. And therefore, you have yielded yourself to the fleshly desire or the fleshly appetite. And it's not something that has potential value for you. But if you get into a place where that is what you're consumed with, it begins to take you down a road that becomes very rocky. preaching better than you're shouting right there don't like food I'll get off of it pretty quickly all right in this current season however in what I would call right now especially in America and within the church there is a season of realignment that's taking place in this season of realignment it is important for you and I to have a very clear understanding of the line or the path that we are to be brought back to now Notice with me, God is, you've heard me say this a hundred thousand times, if not more probably, if you've been here any time at all, that God is a God of structure, he's a God of order, he's a God of principle. And therefore you and I need to understand that there is certain things that we cannot get away from. And every generation before us has had to adhere to them as well. This is not tradition. This is not legalism. But this is just the truth of God's word concerning you and I. Notice with me, Israel found itself in a place where it had to make a decision as well. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse number 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand you in the way and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Notice they was in a state of rebellion and they refused to yield or surrender their life to the Lord. And how many knows how that worked out for them? It didn't work out well at all. They was found themselves in a land that was desolate. They found themselves in a place of captivity. They found themselves in a place where they could not even live and dwell in their homeland. Their land was desolate. And they was gone and banished from it for many, many years. Notice if you go further in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 15. It says, because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity. And they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient path to walk in paths in a way not cast up. What's he saying is this. It's a word of warning. Simply saying, because of the decisions of man... They have now walked in a path that I did not plan for them to walk in. And therefore, there is no blessing in it. There is no favor in it. There is no hand of protection in it. And you're there because of the simple fact that you refuse to live a surrendered life. I will be the first to tell you tonight that God has amazing, wonderful things for you. He told Jeremiah... And he said, and it's not just for Jeremiah. I believe this wholeheartedly. Before I formed you in the womb of your mother, I knew you. And I knew the plans that I had for you. What was those plans? Anybody remember? There was plans of good. There was plan to prosper you. Now, notice with me. 
Why is it when we look around and we see plans are not good and the people are not prospering? It's simply because they do not come into a place where they are living a life that is in a surrendered state. Notice, I have a sense of urgency in my spirit today concerning the behavior of many in the hour in which we find ourselves, especially within the faith community. Notice, I'm not here full of doom and gloom, but I'm here to bring us to a place where we understand the principles of God's word. Excuse me. We find this in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 15. What is the ancient path? What is the old path? But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That means in every area of our life, our lives are to be an example to others and they should be a resemblance of the character of God. Notice with me, it simply says you are to be holy because I am holy. Notice, uh, but if you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 through verse number 14, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fevered heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens bent on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fevered heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now I have a question for us tonight. How can we be found at peace with him? How can we be found without a spot? And how can we be found blameless in the sight of God? It is only when we come to a place where we are living in a state of surrender. Now let me clarify this this evening. Living in a state of surrender is not living in a state of perfection. But living in a state of surrender is having a heart that is turned towards God. And everything that you do into the best of your ability, you're trying to do in a manner that brings honor and glory unto him. Notice, uh, the current generation has been lied to and they have been misled concerning what it takes to live a victorious life. Listen, Romans chapter 12, verse number one still rings true to every one of us in this room. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your extraordinary service. No, which is your reasonable service. What are we saying tonight? We have to understand, oftentimes we try to come up with a a path or a strategy to obtain certain things in our life. But Paul writes to us in Romans chapter number 6, verse number 12 and the following. He says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. What does all of this really mean? We have to put an end to the madness that's all around us today. We have to come back to the simplicity of the gospel and realize this. If you and I are going to live in a manner that is pleasing to God, it will not cost us something, but it will cost us everything. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 25, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We must return to this original foundation, which is required for all of mankind. We must understand the importance of Mark chapter 8, verse number 35. It says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. It is only when we begin to live in a surrendered state that we really begin to live. So I ask the question, why do we see such lack? Why do we see such unhappiness? Why do we see such void in lives of men and women that really are faithful to the house of God? Is it possible that they have yet to understand the true meaning and the true importance of a completely surrendered life? We must come back to the place of complete surrender. Notice with me, John chapter 10 kind of gives us insight. I referenced this verse this morning, 10 and 10, but I also want to give you verse 11. It simply says this, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But he goes on, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We're in a place right now where we must understand it is only when we begin to live that we really get to a place where we understand that we must fully, openly, honestly, and willingly receive the sacrifice of the spotless lamb of Jesus Christ our Lord. We must come back to a place of complete surrender. What does that look like? Proverbs 22, verse number 4 tells us, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. How many wants to increase in your life? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, we'll pray for you for lying. All of us do, right? We all like to have increase in many areas of our life. Nothing wrong with that, okay? You can have that. You, you, you can have increase. How many understands that honor is important? We're to give honor, double honor. But honor gives you a place at the table. You don't get honored unless you live a life of integrity. When you walk this thing out before people, you get honored. Notice with me. A life of honor is important. If you're going to be a good ambassador uh, for the kingdom, you need to be a man that, or a woman that walks with honor. And that happens because you walk with integrity. 
But how many knows that life? What, what's the definition of life? Well, I'm not talking about just breathing air, but I'm talking about life is you're living life. Life is good. Listen, I, not everything's perfect in my life, but at the same time, I, I, I have life. I'm not going to be doom and gloom. I'm not going to walk around with my head hung down. Listen, I am too blessed, and I have too much, and God has been too good to me, and I have life. I have life all around me. I rejoice because I have life in the church that we are ministering in. Even tonight, you see kids everywhere. You see uh, young adults everywhere. You see elders everywhere. Listen, we're in a place where there's life, all types of life. It's a wonderful place to be. And listen, I have life, I have honor, and I have riches only because I come to a place of complete surrender. You can never walk in a state of surrender until, first of all, you get to a place where you understand humility. Humility is not becoming a doormat for people, but humility is operating with the heart of God in a manner where you are willing and you are okay with putting on a servant's garment for others. Humility. Listen, humility is a given. If you have a fear And I'm not talking about a frightful fear, but Proverbs 22 is talking about a reverence. If you have a reverence for God, you will automatically begin to operate in a place of humility because you're going to be in awe of him. And you're going to see what he has done, and therefore you are going to do that which he is teaching you to do. And notice with me, before he went to the cross, what did he do? He got up from a table, he took a towel, and he knelt down at the feet, and he showed them openly what it was. He said, if you're going to be able to do anything, you must first become one that is willing to operate in a state of humility and serve others. Notice with me. In order for us to really understand this, we have to go a little bit deeper. The surrendered life is the life that walks in the spirit as well as it experiences the supernatural. Many people have asked this question over the last several years. Why is it that we don't see a move of God like we have at other times in history? Why is it that we don't see people be healed? And why don't we see people be delivered? Why, why don't we see this or that? And they all have different ideals of what it's supposed to be and look like. But here's what I understand. When you go to Psalms chapter number 34, verse 19 through 22, notice it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Listen, if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to deal with some stuff. I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with some stuff. Okay? But... The Lord delivered him out of all of them. How many can testify tonight that you've had to go through some stuff, but God has been faithful? Amen. There's some things you said, man, this is just, this is just not right. But yet God delivered you, right? You're still here. You're, you're, you're still here because of the power of God and because of your testimony of who he is. But notice it says in verse 20, he keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. How many knows if you trust in him, then really you're surrendering to him? 
Now, when you begin to look at Psalms 34, it begins to set the stage to tell you this. If I want to experience the Spirit of God, the favor of God, and the abundance of God in my life, if I want to experience the supernatural power of God in my life, then it comes back to a place where I, even though I may go through many afflictions, the Lord delivers me out of all of them. But verse number 20, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. How many knows the enemy would love to break every bone in your body? He'd love to break every bone in your spirit. He'd love to break every bone in your emotion. But there is a wholeness that comes to the man or the woman of God that will live a surrendered life. And because of your surrender, because of coming one with Christ that Paul is talking about in Galatians 2 and 20, when he simply says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is this, my life is hid in Christ. And therefore, when the enemy would come and try to break me, uh, he is not able to do that because, uh, listen, uh, not only does the Lord protect me and keep me, uh, and even though the evils uh, shall be slayed, uh, evil shall slay the wicked, uh, and they that hate righteousness, they shall become desolate. Uh, but he says this, for the one that will trust in the Lord, uh, they will not just be protected, uh, but they also will be in a place of abundance. Uh, they will, their land will not be desolate. Uh, listen, uh, the way we choose to live our life uh, does not just impact us, uh, but it impacts our children uh, and our children's children. Uh, can I tell you tonight, my children and my grandchildren uh, and, and my future, if time stands, great-grandchildren, uh, they're going to live in the blessing and the favor of God. And you know why? Not necessarily because uh, I've got it all figured out, uh, but because uh, I have surrendered my life to say, God, I'll go when you say go, and I'll stay when you say stay, uh, but God cannot abandon his principles. Uh, and when I get to a place where I say, God, my life is surrendered, it's hid in you. Uh, Lord, I'm wrapped up in you. The only reason I'm living is because of you. Uh, and it's not about Ron, but it is about Jesus and Ron. Uh, and there because he is bound by the principles of his word uh, my land will not be desolate uh, that means this my children will have a tree to pick from uh, my grandchildren will have a well to draw from uh, because my land will not be desolate uh, so don't you believe the lies of the enemy and says well it ain't really worth it uh, listen you're not doing this for you uh, but you're doing this for the generations that's coming after you uh, I don't want them to have a barren land uh, I don't want them to have a desolate land uh, but I want them to step into the promises of God uh, where once again uh, there's a land that's flowing of milk and honey uh, I'm not talking about Canaan uh, but I'm talking about something better than that uh, a land where the power and the anointing of God is flowing uh, a place where men and women are walking with the power uh, and the anointing of God where freedom reigns hear me tonight a life of surrender is worth it but are we willing Oh, but preacher, you don't understand. Notice, we're not the only generation that's had to go through some stuff. A lot of people before us have done the same. I'm reminded of a young man, excuse me, by the name of Joshua. He had walked with Moses, been with Moses, but then Moses dies. Now, it was a traumatic time for the people of Israel. 
But Joshua comes on the scene. When he comes on the scene, the Lord had already been affirming him. You know the story. But we find that in Joshua chapter number 1, when you start reading down, he simply says, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. But you get down to verse number 5 of chapter 1 through verse number 8. Notice what it says. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Somebody say surrender. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, Joshua, there's some things before you. There's some requirements before you. There's some challenges before you. However, if you'll trust me, Joshua, if you'll surrender to me, you're going to have good success, but you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to be very courageous. Can I say to you tonight, young and elders alike, in order for us to live in a state of surrender that God is calling us to, we're going to have to be strong in our faith and we are going to have to be determined. Meaning this, we're going to have to live very courageous, not based on, oh, what's going to happen if I do that? Trust in the Lord. Because here's the reality of where we are today. If you're going to stand and speak up and be a voice for the kingdom, you will experience pushback and resistance. There will be challenges, but that does not change the plan that God has for you. And the destination that's been prepared. His willingness to surrender, notice this, brought the children of Israel into their promise. Our surrender will not just impact us, but it will impact others around us. My question tonight is, are we willing, are we willing to live in a manner of surrender so that others can experience Christ in the manner that we have. Do you realize that we would have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ if somebody had not decided to sell out for it in the generation that before us that paved the way for us to have it? Please hear me. It costs something. Do you understand that the English version of your Bible that we have, do you understand what it really costs to have this translated for you and I to have a, 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 a copy of the Word of God that we could understand? Do you understand how much blood has been shed for you and I to have this thing? Please hear me. It is with a great price that men and women 
have paid for you and I to have the freedom that we have today. But what hope does the generation have that's coming after us and the generation after that if the Lord delays his coming? The hope that that generation has today is that you and I will live a life of surrender. What's that look like? Abraham, oh Abraham. He says, yes, Lord. Would you do me a favor? Anything, Lord. Would you take Isaac, your only son Isaac, and would you take him up to the mountain I'll show you, and will you give him to me? Whoa. Really? But I just got him. I've waited all these years for him. But will, No, but will you trust me? Do you understand what I'm asking? In the natural, it seems completely bizarre, but there was something beyond the natural realm. And Abraham began to understand in his heart, you know what, I'm alive, but I'm alive because of the simple fact of the God that I'm connected to. And we know he goes and he gets his son and he gets the wood and he gets his servants and they mount up on their beast and they go and then when they see it he says go yonder and he turns and one of the things that always gets kind of not focused on a lot in that story is when he gets Isaac and gets the wood on Isaac's back and he's ready to go and Isaac says where's the sacrifice but before he ever says that Abraham looks at his servants says, y'all stay here and we will return he said, we. He had revelation. He had insight that, you know what, I'm going to live a surrendered life. I don't know what's getting ready to happen, but I'm trusting in God that no matter what happens, if I, ha- if I see my son be laid to death there, I believe somehow, some way, there's going to be a resurrection of him, and he's going to come, and he's going to come back with me because he had a promise. Don't try to get so caught up in the moment that you're trying to figure it all out, but you're going to have to trust God. Living a surrendered life means you're living a life of trust and a belief that, you know what, God's got it figured out. And I want to tell somebody in this room, just by the unction of the Lord tonight, you just need to shake it off because God's got it. Just trust him. He's got it. Don't know what it looks like for you tonight, but he's got it. But if you'll live a place in a place of surrender... Listen, your best days are not behind you, but they are before you. Notice what happens when people live surrendered lives. They walk with the supernatural in their realm. We can run through a bunch of things, but let me give you a few that you know that's familiar, that you've heard since you was in Sunday school. Anybody remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? Notice, his life of surrender positioned him and propelled him for him to witness the supernatural power of God in his life. And when he was thrown into a den of lions, notice with me, the lions wasn't hungry anymore and they laid down and he slept with them. That's not normal, folks. You could talk about David after being received in a horn of oil upon his head and went back out into the field and he found himself faced with a bear, faced with a lion, but then later in life faced with a giant and every one of them was defeated because of a life of surrender. It wasn't a life that was perfect. It wasn't a life that had every, all the answers, but it was a life that says, is there not a cause? Is there not something still to fight for? I asked the question today, is there not a reason to stand up today? 
I believe there is. David is an example of what a surrendered life is. The three Hebrew boys, you could talk about a fiery furnace tonight. You could talk about Peter walking on water. And you could talk about Jesus himself where it simply he looked beyond the cross. And he looked beyond the shame. And he saw you and I. And he simply stayed surrendered to the call and the will of his father. When we surrender, we step beyond the veil and we step into a place where we experience the supernatural power of God. What does it look like? How does it affect us when men decide to surrender? As they come to the music this evening, I'm going to give you a story. I shared it once before, but I I, I believe it's important for us to maybe hear it again. Ordinary men... Just ordinary men. The year 1934. Somebody say that was a few years ago, right? 1934. Charlotte, North Carolina. Some men realized that the nation needed revival. They also realized that the world needed to be reached wasn't preachers wasn't people with a lot of clout by the world standard just ordinary men that decided to go to a local farm and they began to pray and as they began to pray they come together and they pray and they said we really need a move of God Lord, we're going to surrender and yield our lives to you. And Lord, we don't know what else to do. We're just going to surrender. We're just going to yield our lives. And Lord, whatever it is, Lord, we're, we're listening. We're, we're seeking. But they also began to pray. And this is the prayer they prayed. Lord, raise up someone in Charlotte to reach the world. Raise up someone in Charlotte to reach the world this became their prayer there was a 15 year old boy on that farm that wasn't concerned about anything other than baseball really at that time in his life his name was Billy just a few months after this prayer meeting and these prayer meetings had taken place on the old Graham Dairy Farm. A 15-year-old Billy surrendered his life to Jesus. And because of that, he was a young boy that began to feel something burn in his life. And he is a wonderful picture in modern history of what living in a state of surrender really looks like. And because of his willingness to yield his life, to come into alignment with what Paul is saying in Galatians 2 and 20, he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. A boy from a dairy farm in Charlotte, North Carolina, impacted this globe for the kingdom 
And even after his death, even after his death, he's still impacting a world. But notice with me, his land is not desolate tonight. But because of his life of surrender, he has a son by the name of Franklin. He has daughters that are traveling the globe. He has grandchildren that are thriving in ministry. All because a little dairy farmer's boy said, I'll go and I'll surrender. I wonder what would happen if we could just get some men and women once again to say, I'll surrender. I'll surrender all. Oh, I'm not talking about singing. I'm talking about walking it out. You see, when we begin to walk it out, things change. Barren land begins to grow and thrive. Beauty begins to be restored. Please hear me today. When we say yes to God, In return, he begins to breathe on our desolate fields and life returns and future begins to be filled with hope and expectation. I'm excited today. I'm excited about the generation that's coming up after us because I'm so thankful that when I say that I'm surrendering it doesn't mean I have to be perfect but it means that my heart has to be turned and perfect towards the Lord but I stand here with complete confidence knowing this that this generation is going to go higher and further than I ever do And I don't need any accolades and I don't need to say here any attaboys. But the thing is, is because of us, my generation, the elders in this room, because of our faithfulness and our lives of surrender, we are positioning them to be in a land that is not desolate. But we're positioning them in a place where they can reap spiritually the things of God, the anointing of God, the power of God, the favor of God. And their children... It's going to also be able to come into a place of life and freedom. That's why I stand here tonight on a Sunday evening and tell you a surrendered life is the best life. And it's never too late to surrender. I'm not questioning anyone's salvation today. But I'm here to tell you there is gifts and callings that have been lying dormant in the church in America for years because we've gotten really good at making excuses for not doing and not being who God's called us to be. He gifted you and he called you to be you. You have strengths that can be brought, that can further the gospel. Use your talents. Use your giftings. Don't make excuses, but surrender. We should never be satisfied with just going through a formality.
There is a world that needs Jesus today. When I look at those that burned with passion before us, and I think about, well, if they was alive in this generation, what would they be doing that I'm not doing? And often I have to hang my head in shame and say, God, forgive me. Because I remember and I read through history when men would ride horseback to go share the gospel. And they'd ride and they'd still preach three to five times a day, every day, because it burned with such passion. We can do that sitting in the comfort in front of a camera and we still choose because we, we don't have time or we don't this. Listen, we have more means to get the message to the world than any generation before us. We have no excuse. We just have to be willing to surrender. There's a world waiting. I want that to sink in just for a moment as we stand all over this house together tonight. There is a world that's waiting. I know there would be a voice that would say, well, nobody wants to hear. That's not true. Oh, preacher, nobody wants to hear. It's not true. You and I have the greatest message that's ever been given to humanity. That message is Jesus loves, Jesus saves, Jesus heals. But in order for that message to reach the ends of the earth, it's going to require somebody to live a surrendered life. That means if I'm surrendered, it means this, that everything that I am is hid in Christ and Him alone. Paul simply said, quit making about anything and everything. Just make it about this. Just die to self and say yes to God. But it's so hard, preacher. Here's the hard part, we wanna be in control. And we're taught from a very young age to take control. But Matthew 6.33 simply tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. If I'm going to seek him first, that means this. I have to take my hands off and quit trying to be controlling, and I have to trust. Can I tell you, he's never failed me. He's never failed me. And he'll never fail you. You know what will keep this revival and this awakening alive and reaching further and touching more lives? is for you and I that's in the church today just as radically completely surrender it's one thing to come and pray but it's another thing to stay in a place of prayer I wonder tonight I wonder what would happen if the church in America would just clear its schedule and just come back into the house of God and say, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. Everything else can wait. I wonder what would happen.
A life of surrender is a life of supernatural. Tonight, I'm challenging you as I challenge myself to self-examine and let us be men and women that don't visit it, but let us be men and women that dwell in a state of surrender. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us everything. But how can you put a price on reaching a generation and pulling them from the flames of hell? Somebody, somebody's got to begin to carry the burden for the lost again. Somebody has got to surrender. Eight years ago today, it's just a few weeks before we had our first service here, just a few days before. The chairs was here, no instruments was here. There was a ladder here. I was still finishing up some things. And I was able to bring my father here. There was just a couple people here. And I brought mom and dad here for the first time to see it since it was pretty much finished. And I had a memory today on social media. And my father began to walk. Just come to show him the building, but he wasn't going to come here. He preached the first message in this place. He got me. He beat me. There wasn't nobody here, just a couple of us, but he began to walk. His message today was just one of radical surrender. I wonder tonight, I wonder tonight, do we truly understand the power of surrender? While he's in the presence of the Lord today, I got to hear him preach for a minute today, Ken. And oh, how it did my heart well. But his message was simple. Lord, let men and women have an encounter with you. What he was simply saying is, Lord, let them surrender. So if you don't hear it from your pastor tonight, hear it from my father. My life is not desolate today because of his life of surrender. And my son and daughter's life of my grandchildren, they will not be desolate because of the surrender. Let's be the example. And let's take that which God says we can have.
And let's see a world turned upside down once again with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you today. Oh, how we love you. Lord, we stand together tonight in your house. We're so thankful for the presence of your spirit in worship tonight. Lord, I thank you for the attention of the men and women in this room as we have taught and preached your word tonight. But Lord, we've come to the most important part of our time together today. It's the time in which we make a decision. Do we decide just to be hearers of the word and not apply it to our lives? Or do we choose to hear and self-examine and say, Lord, by your help and by your grace, we will walk out what you're speaking to us. And Lord, we will yield our lives to you. Lord, I'm thankful for the men and women of God that's in this room with me. And I'm thankful for their dedication and their commitment to you. I thank you for their godly example that they have been. I'm thankful for their life of integrity. I'm thankful for their faithfulness to this house and to the work and the spreading of the gospel. But Lord, today we just pause as individuals and as a corporate body and we simply say Lord is there more room for surrender in our lives is there more you're asking of us that we have not yet surrendered to and yielded to Lord if so I pray that this would be a day this would be a time and a season which all of us would just simply say yes Yes, Lord, to your will, and yes, Lord, to your way. Father, today, Lord, as we're just kind of standing corporately in your presence, no one really looking around just for a moment, but today you've heard of the call that was from this morning and even this evening for principle and structured living in our lives and Lives of surrender. Maybe you're in this room and you'd say, you know what, I'm, I find myself in a place where I know God is calling me and he's speaking into my spirit some things that maybe feels bigger than you and maybe even is a little intimidating to you, but you feel like God is just kind of gently pulling and saying, I've got more for you. I just need you to surrender. I've got more for you. I just need you to surrender. If that's you, just quickly, I just want you to lift your hand and put it right back down. Lord, everybody, Pastor Ron coming to you again. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that the word was a blessing to you. And today, before we say goodbye, I just want to encourage you. If you have not yet put your faith and trust in the Lord, that this would be a time that you would do so. I'd also say to you, if you're going through a very difficult or trying season, Know this, God is faithful. He loves you. We love you. And we just say to you today that He is still able to do exceedingly abundantly what we could ever ask or think. So I speak blessings over you and your family. Thank you for joining us today.